Legal Matters. Claire Thompson is with me in studio and uh, she is a specialist family law practitioner and head of the family law department at Wits Incorporated. Claire, good evening to you and great to have you in studio once again. So good to be back, Audrey. Thanks so much for having me. So here we are talking once again about issues of... um, of, of testaments, of trusts, and so forth. First in my mind, I want to get to understand, are these, are these mandatory tool, tools for somebody that has some sort of a will or something that they want to bequeath, mm-hmm. or are these preferential tools? I'm hearing words like trusts, mm. um, testamentary trust, uh, yeah. wills. And, and Tell me about these things. What are they? I think what you've said is uh, so pertinent Um, and I think uh, you and I have probably had this conversation before is that the way that I was uh, taught at least when I was uh, a a, a far more junior attorney at that point in time, I was taught by a very well respected colleague that everybody dies with a will. You drafted or the state drafts it for you. And so uh, the will that the state drafts for you, and I'll put will in inverted commas there, is contained in the Interstate Succession Act. And that's where the law tells us how your estate will devolve if you don't have a written document or if your written document is not a valid will. That being said, if it is that you die and you do have a will, That is an expression of your wishes, what you want to happen outside of what the law prescribes for you. And things like testamentary trusts are mechanisms that we employ in order to ensure that certain assets are protected for certain people. And I think, uh, you know, that was one of the, the, the points that at least that brought, you know, this topic into consideration is, um, protection of assets for certain people. And, and, and I suppose all of these instruments, trusts and whatevers, are the instruments by which you can do that. But my, my, mm-hmm. my question is, do you have to have a trust? Do you have to have... No? You don't. Yep. No, you don't. Okay. I'm shaking my head. I realize your <laughs> listeners can't see me. Um, uh, you don't have to have it. No, no. It's an op- you don't have to have a will. I mean, I think we speak often, um, and I think especially in Wills Week, which is some months away from now in September, but uh, we speak often about you must have a will, you must have a will. Um, I think like many things, it's a choice. And, it's like voting. Uh, it's like voting, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Very yeah. opportune time yeah. <laughs> yeah. to mention that. Um, it's... It's a choice and you can choose to not draft a will or you can choose to draft a will. Um, like other conversations we have, you can choose to enter into an antinuptial contract. You can choose not to enter into an antinuptial contract. I think the problem comes in is that when you, you absolve yourself of the responsibility and, and you, you just don't look at it. And I think sometimes as South Africans, we are guilty of that. You know, we, we don't like talking about death. There's a lot that, uh, you know, there's a lot of difficulty and uncertainty that comes up even, you know, when we utter the word. It's not a comfortable space for us to sit in. It's something that we, you know, we try try not to uh, deal with. We try to avoid. We try to um, shield our loved ones even from, from the possibility of engaging in this conversation. We don't want to talk about these things. 
for many reasons. But I suppose to quote that old adage about all things in life are uncertain except for death and taxes, Mm -hmm. we are going to end up passing away somewhere along the line. And if we have assets and we want those assets to, to, to be enjoyed by somebody else after we are no longer here, we have to put in place uh, measures in order to protect those assets or we have to understand how the law expects that to come about if it is that we choose not to have the written document that we've created. You start off by saying everybody dies with a will. Uh, either you make yourself a will or the state makes you a will. And I imagine that in order for you to keep your power, it's best you created your own will. Uh, that way your wishes are more likely to be, to, be, to be carried out after you've passed on. I'm interested in how you prepare outside of the will for your loved ones. Uh, I'm hearing, I keep hearing this word trust. Mm. Uh, I keep hearing testamentary trust. And I've mm. heard it for many, many years, like like the proverbial tax rebate. I don't know how it works, right? Been hearing it for me. What is a testamentary trust and how does it work? So a testamentary trust creates a trust, which is which I'll talk about in a moment, but it creates a trust in your will. And in very, very, from a very, very simple conceptual perspective, a trust is a mechanism that holds assets for the purposes of the beneficiary. So for the benefit of the beneficiary and it's administered by trustees. And trustees, as the word suggests, sit in a position of trust. They are required to administer those trust assets for the benefit of the beneficiaries and employ those assets and very often it's funds, money, for the benefit of the beneficiaries. And where you might want to employ a testamentary trust in your will is if you have beneficiaries who are not able to look after those assets themselves. The most ascertainable example as a child your six-year-old is not going to be able to manage uh, the money that you bequeath them. And in fact, the law does not allow them to do so. Um, the law does not allow a child to receive money until that child turns 18. And so either the guardian's fund is going to hold that money for the child, or if it's a very small amount of money, it might be left under the care of that child's guardian. Or if it is that we have somebody who we uh, or people at least, because we'll need at least two, uh, two trustees, one of whom is an independent, to look after that money for the benefit of that child and use that money for things like the child's maintenance, the child's uh, well-being, rental, school, education, uh, medical, um, clothing, holidays even. Yeah. Luxuries can also uh, come into that if it is that there is sufficient money um, that is that is left to that child for the purposes of caring for that child afterwards. Because it is for the for the person who looks after that child, it might either be a, what we call a guardian, or it might be a caregiver. But the person who is 
physically taking care of the child, making sure that the child is taken to school every day, making sure that the child does their homework, making the child, making sure the child goes to bed and so on. That person is tasked with caregiving. But those things might come with a financial sure. burden as well. And, sure. and when we, when we, uh, and I'll, I'll, Take a moment now to say I am not a financial planner. I'm a lawyer. I cannot give financial advice. And so the purpose of this discussion is certainly not a financial one. Um, This is about the legal mechanisms that we can put in place in order for uh, for people who do have the financial acumen to manage that money for the benefit of the beneficiaries. And uh, trust uh, fund uh, managers who have the financial acumen will ensure that that money is properly um, invested, that it's earning interest, that it's used appropriately, that it's going to last long enough for that child's minority. And, uh, you know, as long as that child is dependent, if if it is possible to do so. Um, and so it's a, v- for certain people where the guardian's fund would not be an appropriate option, it is a great mechanism or a tool for people to think about if they have children under the age of 18 or as an alternative, if you have an adult dependent, maybe you have a parent who has a, an illness, of an illness like a dementia yeah, or a, yeah. I don't know the medical terms well enough, unfortunately, but what we would call Alzheimer's or dementia yeah. or um, somebody who has a brain injury, for example, or somebody who is, not well equipped to deal with the um with their finances maybe you have a family member who you want to leave money to who has an addiction maybe it's a gambling addiction maybe it's a drug addiction and you know that if you were to give that person a lump sum it could be very dangerous for that person or they could squander that money but you still want them to enjoy the benefits of the hard work that you've employed in order to build your asset base for their benefit one day and so this trust mechanism that we can put in place in one's will allows us to have an opportunity to look after somebody by way of trust mechanism after someone dies. Kasak asks the question, says, hi, Aubrey, can you ask your guest to explain what should the relationship between a trust and a closed corporation, do we still have closed corporations? Anyway, and a closed corporation when the trust owns the CC. Uh, he continues to say, are they managed as one or as two separate entities? So I think interestingly coming out of that question is that a, a CC, the, the CCs that still exist continue to exist. Okay. New PTY limiteds that are registered or old PTY limiteds that exist. Um, incorporated companies are separate legal entities. They, in law, we say they have separate legal personality. Um, and we almost, we imagine that they are entities of themselves and they exist independently of the humans that, that work within them, if that makes sense. A trust, on the other hand, is not that. It's, it, it is a holding vehicle where the trustees are placed in a position of trust and they look after the assets that are held by that trust for the benefit of the beneficiaries. The, the, the relationship is not, is, is not the same as a, a, a company or a PTY or a CC. So the, the, the way that those 
types of entities are set up and the way that they are understood from a legal perspective are different. Um, if it is, for example, that I was going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, if I was going to super can pay, for example, if you'll forgive me, <laughs> if I was going you can to, pay, <laughs> hypothetical, yeah. Yeah. if I was going to super can pay, pick and pay is a juristic entity. Um, I'm not going to sue the CEO of pick and pay, um, acting in his role as such. I will sue pick and pay because they are a separate legal entity. It doesn't matter who the CEO is, who the CFO is anything like that. A trust, however, when I sue a trust, I have to sue the trustees of that trust for the time being. So if it's um, the Aubrey Trust, for example, um, I, might say, I might say Chris in his capacity as trustee of the, um, of the Aubrey Trust, I might say in Tateng on, in her capacity as uh, trustee of the Aubrey Trust, Claire as in her capacity as uh, trustee of the uh, of the Aubrey Trust and each of those trustees in their position as such are tasked with that management and there is no separate legal personality that is created and the way that these these mechanisms are set up in our law are very very different um, and so we can't we can't um, explain what a trust is by referencing what a CC is or a PTY limited is for example okay so can a trust own a CC? The trust can own the members' interests in the CC, or the so it can be a shareholder. Because the trust is not a juristic person like a CC or a PTY. Entity. So each of those, um, each of those trustees then are tasked with the management, and they could be appointed as. Um, members or directors of the of a company, for example. So when they are trustees, they can also act as uh, the people who manage that uh, that entity. Um, but we must understand that they are separate from one another. So 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 the trustees of the Aubrey Trust can be directors of the Aubrey. PTY LTD. Mm, ah, they could. Okay. Let me let me let me just read you some of these messages. But I'm interested also in why. Why or oh why are we so interested in how the trust works? And I'll tell you I'll tell you, let me preempt my my, 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 my my own question. In the past, I get the sense that there was a way by which trust were, trusts were used to somehow avoid certain tax, um, I don't know, tax, uh, tax uh, responsibilities. Mm. And I'm getting the sense that trusts are no longer able to do that kind of thing anymore. And much of the interest in how trusts work is usually inspired by how one can mm. avoid certain tax responsibilities. Mm. I'm, I know I'm being very naughty. I'm, I'm preempting, but I, I, I do want to contextualize this context. Mm. I mean, this question in that reality, because um, I, I see how huh, trusts always um, attract a lot of interest, and it, it's just a little bit further than what I know and understand about these these instruments. But I want you to remember that. 
Let me read you some of the messages that are coming through. Um, Aubrey, is a trust that is used to buy to buy in a company? Uh, I asked my bank to put my granddaughter money to go into a trust. They are unaware of it. Uh, don't know what to do, says Sathya. Uh, Bianca says, Aubrey, I really need legal representation to protect me. Sunlam Trust have made my life living hell for 21 years as a curator and uh, a curator at bonus. Uh, mm. And I am not stupid. I survived a brain injury 24 years ago already and I ex- I'm expected to be smart enough to live off less than my entitlement loss of income. Um, okay, I think the... the, the Okay, anyway, I'm going to read exactly how, how, how it's written. It says, uh, I'm expected to be smart enough to live off uh, less than my entitlement loss of income, uh, momentum life money. I am in the worst circumstances because of the fraudulent manner. Uh, my road accident fund claim was dealt with, and that's from Bianca and many other people. Uh, Nicola Columbine asks, are we taking calls? Always, uh, Nicola. We are always taking calls. The lines are always open so please give us a call we'd love to hear from you um there you go uh, how do you answer bianca who says that she's been um she's been taken for a ride by a couple of trusts uh, she named some of them sundam trust she also talks about momentum life money and all sorts of things how do you deal with that and then of course Sathya says um uh, i asked my bank to put my granddaughter daughter's money to go into a trust they are unaware of it don't know what to do she says so i think you know i might not i might not directly answer these specific questions because i do want to make sure that we focus at least on testamentary trusts and what those are because the question of curatorships and the question of the trusts that are created whilst people are alive are not testamentary trusts. Ah. Um, you can set up different types of trusts. One is an inter vivos trust and the other one is a testamentary trust. An inter vivos trust is a trust that exists when someone is alive. So I, for example, can set up a trust called the Claire Thompson Trust today. Um, and that is going to continue whilst I am alive. It's not set up as part of my... Um, uh, my state. It's not is it set called up who? an inter vivos trust or a living trust. trust. A living trust. A living trust. Easily to, far easier to, to refer to as a living trust. And there are different types of living trusts depending on what the vehicle is that they are required to do. For example, like this when somebody's placed under curatorship as a result of a traumatic brain injury. That being said, I think that's a conversation for another day perhaps because we could talk about living trusts on another occasion. But I think for the purposes of today's conversation, um, uh, we're focusing on testamentary trusts. And those are the trusts that are created in one's will for the purposes of benefiting one's beneficiaries, one's heirs, and protecting those benefits if it is that there is a need for that. And, you know, to, to just circle back a little bit to your question about tax and financial planning and, and protecting one's money away from certain, mm, yeah. I think, I mean, this is the reason why I thought let's talk about this today because I went to a budget speech, uh, discussion on Thursday last week and I, I got this little booklet and I specifically decided to flag this page 
Um, and it's, it's actually posted on my LinkedIn profile if anybody wants to go and have a read of it. Um, because it, it speaks about the tax rates of trusts, one being normal trusts and the other being special trusts. And this is what we're talking about today. Um, and it says uh, the income tax rates for special trusts are the same as those applicable to natural people, normal humans, except that the rebates and interest exemptions do not apply. And then it goes on and makes a note and it says a special trust is created solely for the benefit of someone who suffers from a disability that prevents such person from earning sufficient income for their maintenance or from managing their own financial affairs. A special trust can be created by way of testamentary trust where the relatives of the, of the testator who are alive at the date of death are the beneficiaries. So I think it's important to bear in mind that there are certain tax provisions that apply to certain trusts and the purpose of the special trust that is mentioned here, this testamentary trust, especially when it comes to the benefit of minors, um, the final point being made in order to qualify as a special trust, the youngest of the beneficiaries must on the last day of the year of assessment of that trust be under the age of 18 years of age. And I think when we read this, um, and, you know, this question about trusts and, you know, have they been used in the past to um, avoid... Insulate people from their tax uh, responsibility. All sorts of yeah. things. Yeah. I think when we speak about a testamentary trust, what we are talking about is a mechanism and a vehicle to protect the benefit of... or to, to protect the benefits that are afforded to... For example, in this case, minor. minor beneficiaries, children under the age of or 18. People that are incapaci incapacitated in one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. For the benefit of those people. And SARS, you know, when I listen to, when I read this and I, you know, we consider the budget speech, um, which was the, an opportune discussion to have yeah. after this, I yeah. think. Or for this conversation at least to come after the budget speech because of this exact um, provision. Uh, I have so many questions. I have, a, I have a billion questions. Bearing in mind, around, bearing in mind, I'm not a financial <laughs> advisor. All right, so. let's, take, let's take the call very quickly from Nicola in uh, River Club. Hi, Nicola. Hi, hi. Um, uh, thanks, Claire. Um, yeah, it, it's a very, I think, a pertinent uh, topic because there's a lot of uh, uninformation. There's a lot of lack of information and perhaps misinformation, misunderstanding about trust. I'm not a legal representative or an attorney. But um, I'm actually just uh, supporting um, my family currently in uh, uh, coordinating certain aspects regarding uh, the dissolution of the trust as a result of the decision by trustees, and I'm not one of them. Um, and uh, then I just want to raise the question around the fiduciary responsibilities of the trustees and in general, uh, but specifically regarding the special uh, trust, uh, mm -hmm. testimony trust in lodging uh, the trust uh, and the the the, the trustees or a legally appointed or mandated entity uh, or person with jurisdiction with the relevant entities in South Africa because I think it's important for mm -hmm. listeners to be aware because they're not necessarily aware about that uh, among mm -hmm. a lack of awareness of general aspects around trusts and these um, financial and legalistic entities and their application. So I'd just like you to respond around mm -hmm. the jurisdiction. 
protection, uh, your respective responsibilities and maybe the liabilities therein. Thanks. Mm, fantastic question. And I think so nice, so nice to hear from somebody who's not an attorney um, and who's perhaps not involved in professional trust administration, but who is still busy um, because a trustee does not need to be sourced from the ranks of attorneys and accountants and the like. People who are or who at least can occupy positions of trust can be appointed as trustees. It's a very responsible job. You, it, it, the, the question about fiduciary duty, this point uh, has been raised. What is the fiduciary duty of the trustee? It is a very, very important position. It is one where one is put in a position where they are responsible for the assets of another person. When you are a trustee and you are managing money or assets on behalf of beneficiaries, it is not your money and it is not your assets. They are not there for your taking. They are not there for your benefits or use or enjoyment. You are placed in the same position as a bank might be when they are, are when they are when money is deposited into um, into a bank, um, and the bank is tasked with holding that money and 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 acting in a manner that is responsible. A, a trustee must act in the same way. They may not use that money for their own benefit. And in fact, they must, do, they must do with that money in such a way that if it is possible to invest that money or grow that money in a way that is not excessively risky to the, the beneficiaries, then that is what must be done. Um, the, the, the role is overseen by the master's office. Um, trustees are entitled to charge a fee for what they do um, and it is because this is a professional role that must be taken. You need not be a so-called trust professional, attorney, accountant or, or anything of the sort but the position that you occupy is one that is extremely, extremely trustworthy and I think it's, 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 it's a great point that is well made. I want to first see if I'm on the same page with you. There are a number of trusts, different types of trust, different versions of trust. Trusts. The testamentary trust is the trust that is usually put together in aid of somebody who does not have the capacity to run the financial or administrative requirements of that trust whether it's a minor, whether it's somebody that is uh, mentally or physically incapacitated in one way or the other, and that is the testamentary trust. Mm -hmm. It has certain tax benefits uh, um, that, that, that are for the testamentary trust. And that is precisely to assist the person who is uh, incapacitated or a minor, mm. right? And usually that trust is not a living trust. It is a trust for after the, uh, what's the right word, the, the, the deceased 
has passed on mm. but has left certain assets and uh, maybe even finances to a minor or an incapacitated pe- mm. person. That is the testamentary trust. But there are other forms of trusts. Mm. The living trust, for example, mm. and others. But let's look at the living trust. You had a very interesting name for it. Vivo. Intervivos. There you go. A uh, little bit of Latin. There you go. What's but a legal it, discussion without a bit of Latin? <laughs> yeah, no. That is the living trust. Mm. The living trust, according to the conversation you had just before the uh, tabling of the uh, budget speech, has been deliberately flagged to people to understand that it is like a normal human being. The trust is like a normal human being, particularly as it pertains to issues of tax. It will be taxed Mm. like a normal human being. There are no tax benefits for the living trust. And the living trust um, will obviously have certain trustees Mm. in the same way as the testamentary trust will have. And that those people who are trustees must understand that they are under a supreme charge of absolute ethical behavior as trustees of whether it's the uh, it's the testamentary trust or the living trust mm. in 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 their various versions, the, the living trusts in their various versions. I have a question around, and I know that you're not a financial person, but it is partly got to do with the fiduciary sort of responsibilities. Monies that are bequeathed to somebody, particularly in a uh, testamentary trust, will perhaps accrue some sort of interest Hmm. tell me about that interest what happens to that interest i'm thinking i'm thinking about trusts for example that are in the hands of attorneys for example Hmm. where monies are paid into those um those trusts right so an attorney holds some money for a client for whatever reason what happens to that interest what happens to the interest of an of the uh, the testamentary trust? What hap- t- talk to me about the interest? I mean, I, I I I you know we forget sometimes how much this word trust comes up in so many different permutations because I think when we think about the attorney's trust account, which you've me- you've mentioned now, that is a bank account that uh, attorneys like myself. We have to have a normal business banking account and we need to have a trust bank account so that when somebody deposits money into that account, it's not money for me to use. It's not money for anybody else at the firm to use. It's money that is in, that is held by a bank account for the purpose of my client. And in, from a, from an accounting perspective, from my, and I'm not an accountant and I'm not a financial advisor, um, but when I look, I can see, ah, that's Aubrey's money. Yeah. And it's held in your name so that we know that it's yours. And I hold, as an attorney, I am in a trust position. I can't use your money. I can't use your money as I see fit. And similarly, if I act as a trustee, whether it be in a living trust or testamentary trust, I will have access to bank accounts. I will be involved in making decisions about investments 
about where that money is invested, what investment strategy is employed, um, and clever financial planners work with trustees in order to employ the best strategy possible. Um, very much within the hands of uh, financial planners who have the financial skills, the financial acumen, they understand the markets, they understand what risk strategies should you, should be employed because of the type of people um, that are being that are due to benefit from this, um, and so part of those investment strategies that are employed by f- uh, financial advisors are going to be expected to earn interest and grow that money so that it's sustainable in the long run. And when we speak about the fiduciary duties of uh, of uh, trustees, a fiduciary duty that it might be expected of a, of a trustee is to invest that money with the appropriate support from a financial planner to grow that money in the best way possible and to sh- ensure that there is a, st- a sustainability and that when that child, for example, turns 21, 18, yep. 25, 32, whatever age we decide on, that if there is sufficient money that the child will then receive what would have been their inheritance if they had been old enough to receive that money at the time of that death. And so... This question of what do we do, you know, is there an expectation that there is interest? Um, How is that interest accumulated? It is a careful partnership between the trustee and a professional financial planner or advisor who is going to work together to make sure that this, uh, this fund is protected. Are you saying to me, and the reason why I asked that question is because I recently had a conversation with um, Macintosh Polela of the RAF, Road Accident Fund. Very passionate man. And he suggested that lawyers who represent people who have been injured mm. and are claiming from the road accident fund may not have been entirely ethical in the way that they've um, they've looked after the monies of their clients. Mm. There has in other conversations around the RAF conversation been a suggestion that lawyers will receive money from the state from the RAF, put it into a trust account. Keep it there for some time while the money accrues interest, but then only give the money that is the capital amount, as it were, to the beneficiary, to the person who's had the accident, and keep the interest. There's been such talk around the issue of the RAF and my, my question is, what is the legislation around that? What is the fiduciary duty of the trustee? And I imagine that, that the, the, the trustee would be the attorney representing the person making the application to the RAF. Mm-hmm. What, what, is the, what is the fiduciary duty then? I Let's am, talk hypothetically. Yeah, I'm not a, so I'm not a, an RAF 
specialist at all. Yes. I am an attorney. But but but, but I, I imagine that that money would go into a trust account of sorts, right? So the so the trust account that you speak of yes. is a uh, it's a bank account that is used by attorneys to hold money on behalf of clients. Yes. Whereas a trust bank account that holds money that is administered by trustees for beneficiaries is a different ah, okay. creature, I want to say. Okay. It's a different different type of thing. Um, an attorney's trust account has to do with the way that attorneys practice. It's uh, governed uh, and overseen uh, by the Legal Practice Council. There are, uh, o- auditors have to make sure that the money that you pay into my trust account before I start doing work for you or if the RAF pays money into my trust account that I am due to pay to you. There are very, very strict rules that govern what we are allowed to do. And what I will say is that if people are unsure about whether they are receiving their dues in respect of any payment, be it from their RAF, be it from um, an insurer, be it from whatever sort of claim they have, if they have any uncertainty, they should approach the Legal Practice Council because that is what they are mandated to do. The, the trusts that we are talking about here, Intervivas, Mortis yes. Causa, Living Trust, Testamentary Trust, interchangeable names. If it is that there is a problem with that trust administration, the place that we go is the master's office or the you know, if necessary, to court. But first and foremost, the master's office, because it is the master that oversees these trusts and see uh, they are in charge of making sure that the trusts come into existence and then making sure that the trusts are properly administered. And they are what is required of trustees is that they uh, keep proper records. And these are one of the fiduciary duties. Trustees are required to meet. They are required to complete minutes. They are required to to keep these minutes, they are required to uh, reach consensus on certain things. In other instances, there might be a deadlock breaking mechanism that is included in certain uh, trust documents. So that's the trust deed. And the trust deed in an inter vivos trust is a separate legal document, whereas in a testamentary trust, it, it forms part of the will. And so when you prepare your will, it's no longer just... Uh, a, a couple of pages of, uh, you know, where we set out my executor, my beneficiaries, um, how I would like my mortal uh, remains to be dealt with. In your will, we have to set up a trust document, and it's a, it's it's more complex, it's more extensive, and it requires different expertise. Um, and the the role of the trustees, at least, is to be as responsible as we would expect, a diligent, professional attorney to be. It is a position of responsibility. It is a position of um, great, great, great trust. Good morning. This person, good morning. Good evening. Um, uh, and your guest, Aubrey. Uh, great topic and thank you. Thank you, Vezutando. Uh, and... Mabasa says, in all the trusts that we have mentioned, how would you classify a family trust and the benefits thereof? Sounds to me like a family trust is a a living trust. I would, what I understand of the question is that it's a living trust. Yes, it's a trust that's created during the lifetime of the person 
let's say it's the Aubrey, Aubrey Trust that we spoke about earlier. You can set it up as we speak. You are the founder and it's for the benefit of the beneficiaries that you elect. It might be children. It might be uh, a spouse. It might be elderly parents. Um, there are all sorts of people who you could nominate as beneficiaries of your family trust. Uh, and then uh, Kasek asks this question, in a living discretionary trust where the decisions of the trustees are absolute, can the beneficiaries take the trustees to court demanding payment of money to them? What if the trust deed states the, that benefits accrue to the beneficiaries only on trustee absolute and sole discretion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's an important question and I think that the the court must ultimately fulfill the deadlock breaking mechanism but like all things in law it requires an in, a, a consideration of the the trust deed the document the document that tells us what it is uh, who is entitled when they're entitled why they're entitled um to consider what the document says to consider what the reasoning is and why it is that the trustees are declining to pay to the beneficiaries. Um, and if it is that there are sufficient reasons to approach the master or to approach the court in order to uh, break that deadlock, then it must be done w- uh, with sufficient reason. And so it requires that analysis and it will require, I think, legal advice in order to do so. Can a beneficiary be a trustee? They can. Yeah. They can. Okay. Listen, this has been a very, very interesting conversation, and I see that a lot of people have uh, appreciated the conversation. Glad. I I do think that there needs to be a part two to this conversation, Mm -hmm. because I think that we still need to get a... Um, I mean, Gladys just sent me a message now. and says, hi, Aubrey, what about money that a father died and left too much money? Without making a will, but having kids that he uh, said is not his. Okay, but that that would have to be uh, a matter of the interstate law, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we can. I mean, that requires a little bit more unpacking, okay. I think. But okay. one thing I will say, just as a parting note, is that for those people who have pets, whose pets fulfill a very very dear part in their lives and yeah. in their hearts. If it is that they want to look after their pets after they've died, a trust mechanism might be something that is exactly the appropriate option for them. And so for people who don't have children, for example, who don't have relatives, but who are very, very dear pets, and I'm sure that there are some listeners out there who feel exactly like this, things like a trust mechanism could be exactly what they need in order to secure the interests of their pets after their death as well. Claire Thompson, so many questions, and I think that that's why we need a part two to this. Um, lots of people still wanting to and I think that uh, much of this conversation has to do with the fact that we don't know what we don't know yeah. so we don't even know which questions to ask so the more we yes. have this quest, this conversation the better we will uh, be equipped to ask the right questions but thank you very much for joining us Claire Thompson Specialist Family Law Practitioner and Head of the Family Law Department at Whitscombe Incorporated